Lord, we just thank you for this day and evening. We thank you for this opportunity we have to come together and study. We ask you to guide and lead us, that your Holy Spirit will show us what you would have us to see through all of this. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, Ruth chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Then went Boaz up to the gate and sat him down there. And behold, the kinsman of whom Boaz spoke came by unto whom he said, Ho, oh, such a one, turn aside and sit down. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit you down. And they sat down. And he said unto his kinsman, Naomi, that is come out of the country of Moab, sells a parcel of land, which was our brother Elimelech's. And I thought to advertise you, uh, <coughs> saying, Buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of the, my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. And if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is none to redeem it besides you and I am after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then said Boaz, what day you buy the field of the land of Naomi, you must buy it also of Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, and raise up the name of the dead among the inheritance. And the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar my own inheritance. Redeem you my right to yourself, I, for I cannot redeem it. Now this is what the manner of the former time of Israel, concerning redeeming and concerning the changing, for to confirm the things of a man, plucked off his shoe and gave it to his neighbor. And this was the testimony in Israel. Therefore the kinsman said unto Boaz, Buy it for you. And he drew off his shoe. All right. So here we are. Remember in last chapter, Naomi told Ruth to go to Boaz, lay down at his feet. Basically, we, we brought it out that she proposed to him or asked for him actually more correctly to perform the, the job of the kinsman redeemer and basically saying, I want you. <laughs> and remember, he said, well, I'm more than happy to do that, but there is somebody closer to you and I have and and he says but I will go immediately and look into this and Naomi if you remember told her rest and we brought out how that is us as Christians going to the kinsman redeemer and starting the process of I want to be bought and we do we do we start that process there are those who will say everybody's going to heaven because Jesus died for sins no you have to accept that sacrifice that he made and that comes through ad the admission of our guilt, the admission that he paid for the price, and asking him. Boaz now is starting the process of buying back the property. And it says, Boaz went up to the gate, and, I'm, and it doesn't tell us that it was the same day, but he told everybody that it, he told uh, Ruth that he was going to take over. And remember, Naomi said, he will not rest this day until he has finished finished it so everything about the previous chapter says this is the same day okay Naomi Ruth is laid down at his feet basically started the process and he said you know you are wonderful you know th you thank you for choosing somebody old and not somebody young uh, apparently he was much older than her we you know uh, because he's going to tell you you know say that he's in that kinsman redeemer he's he seems to have much and so he goes up he sits down and he waits for the other guy to come by. <laughs> All right, uh, and you know this is what happened in that day, when you were somebody that was important in the city, you sat at the gate and basically they got together and they talked about business and about the the business of the town and they would do these kind of things that are happening here. They would be the official business. You'd grab a bunch of the other elders. And you'd run business. So Boaz is sitting here and he's waiting. And we're never told the name of this other person. Uh, but he's the next nearest kin to these individuals. And he said he, he waited for him and then he called, hey, come on over here. Uh, come on over. And then again, even in this one, he doesn't say his name. He says, oh, such a one. I'm sure he named the person, but for some reason, his name is not important. And I think about this. When we do not do what God expects us to do, we really become unimportant to the kingdom. And we see this over time. When we read biographies, when we read about things that happen, who do we read about? 
the ones that do what God says, the ones who follow him. If George Mueller had never followed up in prayer and become a prayer warrior and depended on God, we would never have heard about him. He would have just been somebody who lived and died and went, went their way. And one of Annie's favorite, Corey Ten Boom, if they had not rescued Jewish people in, in Holland and, and gone to prison for it, we had never heard about them. They would have just been another person who lived and died. All right? Now, the other side of things is to be infamous. <laughs> okay? Everybody's heard of Achan. Okay? Does everybody remember who Achan is? He's the one that stole the gold and the clothes out of Jericho and hid them in his, in his uh, tent and, and caused Israel great pain. He is well known. Everybody knows him because he's infamous. That's the other way to be well known is to be infamous. And most of us, I hope, don't want to be infamous. All right? But here we have Boaz calling and said, come. Come sit down. We, basically, he's indicating we have business to, I have business for you. I have a business proposition for you. And then he says he went and grabbed 10 elders of the city. All right? And these would be people that were sitting outside. If you remember in, in Proverbs 31, the the story of the virtuous woman says she is able to run the house so that her husband can sit at the gate. All right? She's doing such a good job that her husband's free to go to the gate and be one of these elders, one that just kind of sits around waiting for things that need to be discussed and help, help manage things. And so he gets these group of people. He's got the, he's got the nearest kinsman to redeemer. He's got 10 men together with him. And he said to the man, Naomi has come again from the land of Moab, and she has a parcel of land to sell that belongs to our brother Elimelech. All right? So the kinsman redeemer is getting a little excited about this. I can add to my land. Naomi, Naomi's old. I don't have to do the, the part of trying to get new kids for her because that's not going to happen. And I get to have her land. Okay? And he's thinking, all right, this is, this is quite a deal. He's forgetting about Ruth. Maybe he doesn't know about her. Maybe he's not been following the family. I mean, I don't know how he could not know about Ruth. But Boaz is kind of sneaky here. You know, uh, you know our brother Elimelech's land, you know, Naomi's, Naomi's going to sell it to one of the kinsmen's redeemer. And he says, and I wanted to tell it to you. I want to advertise it to you. I want to make sure you know. You know so... And so you can, you can buy it right here before all the inhabitants and the elders of these people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you won't, I'm next in line. And he's playing it so cool. You know, he's not saying, I'm ready to buy this. You know, you just get out of the way. He's really going, you know, if you're ready to buy it, go ahead and redeem it. But if you're not, I am next in line. You know, I'm the next in line. And there's just you and me. There's nobody, no other relatives near of kin to buy, buy this land. Now, I kind of doubt this because when you go back to Deuteronomy and, and, and Exodus, there's this whole long list that says, you know, it's your brother, then it's your, own, your father, and then it's your uncles, and then their kids. I mean, it'd be hard to imagine that there are no other relatives, but he's basically saying, don't look any further. You and I are the, are the two closest. Uh, so it's either you, if you're not going to do it, it's going to fall on me. And... Uh, but he's, he's playing it really cool. It's not like, okay, you know, you don't really want this land? Good, I, don't, I want it. <laughs> he's not playing this. He's not playing it up in that way. And, uh, and he goes, but, you know, I'm after you, and if you're not, I will redeem it. And, of course, he goes, very good. I'm going to redeem it. You know, from, from Naomi, no problem. You know, no, no, no uh, need to raise up ki uh, seed. And remember, the kinsman's redeemer's job was to do two things. Keep the land in the family. And they were also the next in line to take the wife of the dead man and create a child for them so that that family line would not draw, drop out of the line of the family. So we have Elimelech is dead. Both of his two boys are dead. So the, the seed is going to belong to Elimelech. When they finally do have a child, it's going to be Elimelech's replacement for that line. And, and, and Chilean and Million, and Chilean and Million. Uh, so that these, 
men will not be dropped out of the tribe of Israel. So this is a job of the kinsman redeemer. There's two parts to that job. Make sure their land stays in the family and make sure that their name doesn't drop out. And so we see here, he's all, the, the kinsman's redeemer, oh, Naomi, no problem. I don't, I'm, you know, she's not going to have any kids. You know, I'm not going to have to, you know, you know, do anything, but I get to have the land. And uh, Boaz gets a little bit of reminder. Okay, he goes, okay, you ready to buy it? Now let me give you the, the other part of the news that I didn't let you know. Uh, he goes, what day you buy the field of Naomi, you also must buy it of Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of the dead. Okay, and you see here, very sneaky. Okay, you're going to buy it. You're going to be buying it from Ruth, who is a Moabitess, which is somebody that the Jewish people do not like, and the wife of the dead. So he's reminding her, okay, you're getting it from somebody that we don't like as, 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 as Hebrew Israelites, and your first child from her is going to be Elimelech and Naomi's. Okay? You know, you see this kind of, he's got the guy all excited about buying the land, but now all of a sudden he's pointing out to her, but you've got further duties to do. You've got further duties, and you've got you to marry this Moabitist. Yeah, you, you've got to marry the Moabitist. And and you got and the kid's going to belong to Naomi. Got to get an heir. Got to get an heir. He gets to keep well, going until they get an heir. Not technically, she's part of his family. The first son belongs to the other family, even though they're going to raise it. They're going to raise that child, but it belongs to Elimelech's line. So it's a very strange way of having this happen. Okay, he's got to get an heir to the, to the name. They're going to raise that heir. And when that heir becomes of age, everything that belonged, that he bought and used in between, goes back to that child to be his for that, on that other line. So whatever he got earned of this land technically belongs to the child? He gets to keep what he's earned during that period of time. It's kind of an investment. But the land will be returned back to the heir. You know, so he gets to farm it. He gets to develop it. You know, anything he builds will go to the, the heir. But he gets to farm it and, and keep it. But it's all going to go back to the heir because it's his property. Now, remember, there's also this rule that if, in Israel that if they sell anything, every 50 years on the year of Jubilee, the Golden Jubilee, everything returns back to the owner, previous owner. So no matter what, it's going to return back to this child that is going to be produced. So this is a big deal. Okay. He's going to end up taking another wife, because it's obvious he probably has a wife already. He's going to take a wife. The first male child of that wife is going to be belong to Elimelech's line and Naomi. And He's going to get back the land that he has to purchase in the process. All right, so it's kind of like a rental, and the money he's given is to Naomi. Yeah, you mentioned golden jubilee. What's the term golden? It's the 50th jubilee when everything is returned. In, in jubilee, your debts are released, and on the golden jubilee, all property is returned back to, which is the 50th. The 50th jubilee, the, the seven jubilees, then you lead to the 50th jubilee. Isn't that the same nowadays where married people celebrate the 50th? They call it the. Yeah, they still use the golden, yeah. It probably came from that, that general term. Okay, so Boaz is kind of gently reminding him okay, yeah, the day you buy Naomi's field, you also buy Ruth. Uh, <laughs> And, and I love this, you know, he, this, his way of building up. She's the Moabitess, which is one of our enemies. You're, you're, you don't want to marry Moabitess. And 
she's the wife of the dead, so that first child. So he's reminding him all the obligations that come along with buying this land. So apparently he had forgotten about the other part of this. Okay, Boaz was related. He's second in line to the kin for somehow. Yeah, he's second in line. This other person he's talking to is closer, whether he's a uncle or whatever, whatever makes him closer, he is the closer relative and is he's got we would say in economic terms the right of first refusal. You know, he's supposed to do this and it's a big deal if he doesn't. Okay. Boaz is hoping that he will not do it, but it's a big deal if he doesn't because he is obligated by the law to do so. He is not really supposed to say no. All right? Because it's his job. Boaz is kind of hoping that he will, and which is why he's laying down this whole long line of, here's the reasons why you really don't want to. Okay, and he's trying to be very careful. He wants to be the one to, to do this. The other man is not supposed to say no. But he's framed it all along of, you, you or I have to do it. Okay, and he says, I'm, basically he said, I'm ready to do it. If you say no, I'm ready to do it. And he's trying to be very cool about this. Uh, he wants this. Maybe the guy has never even met Ruth. I don't know. Okay, this is a small town. Maybe he only comes there once a week or something. Maybe he doesn't live in Bethlehem. He lives outside and he doesn't know Ruth. I don't know how that's possible, but you know, for some reason he's not familiar with the goodness of Ruth or definitely doesn't know her the way Boaz <laughs> knows her. You know, he's not he's not in love with you know, he's this man's not in love with her as Boaz is. Um, doesn't recognize her beauty, doesn't recognize her internal beauty and external beauty, because uh, Boaz fell in love with her external beauty and then has fallen more in love with her as she's proven to be a righteous, hard worker. And so I think he's trying to play this as cool as possible. He's not trying to look too eager <laughs> eager in this, in this deal, because uh, all of his words are, are like this. Uh, then the kinsman in verse 9, well, I can't redeem it for myself, lest I mar my own inheritance, redeem your, uh, you, my right to yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Okay, he goes from being very eager to redeem this property to not eager at all. And, you know, he says, I, I will mar my inheritance, okay, which means he has to pay for the property, which is going to go to Naomi, which is going to take money away, knowing that he's going to lose it at some point down the road, He's going to get a new wife, which he probably is not too eager to do, especially a Moabitist wife, whose first child, first male child is not going to be his. All right? So he's going to cost money, lose it in the later, get an extra wife and possibly some extra kids. All right? All of a sudden he says, I'm not so eager to do this. And uh, which, like I said, this is a big deal for him to say no I'm not going to perform the right of producing children for my brother is a big deal. Judah's sons got in trouble for this whole issue. Okay, if you remember way back in Genesis with the issue of Tamar, Tamar's husband dies. She's married to his, to his brother. He decides, well, I'm not going to have a child with Tamar, and he decides basically to pull out at the last moment. It says, spilled his seed. And God gets so angry with him that he kills that brother. All right, now there's two brothers that are dead. The third brother, Judah says, well, I'm not giving Tamar to him. You know, he's not going to lose a third child. And Tamar, it's a long story beyond that, but you see how this goes on, how this is a big deal. You get married to your brother's sister, a brother's wife, and all of a sudden, that first child is not yours. Okay, and this is what Boaz is saying, you know, this is what you're getting into. He, he's laying out the case, you know, but God put it down in the, in the law that this is what they were supposed to do. So for him to reject it is a pretty big deal. So somehow I think he gets some courage because Boaz is saying, well, I'm ready to do it. If you won't, I'm ready to do this. So he gives him an out. He gives him the out, you know, they're saying, hey, you may not do it, but if you don't, I am ready to redeem this land. You had a question, Annie? I do. If he has a son by her, and then say when the child is, I don't know, 
12 is when they're an adult. That's a different situation altogether. Because he's not married now, then the land would go to the next nearest kin as their land, as their land. Because there's no wife involved to, to get into it. Now, there may have been some special things where they then had to go back through the mother, and I don't know. But the way the law is set up is once, he was, once it was his, it would be, be his. So there could be some other laws that I'm not aware of that's beyond what the scripture clearly says. Yes. That's part of the problem with this whole kinsman redeemer for, you know, marrying your brother's wife and bringing children, bringing up because then that land still has to stay in the family. So technically it may have to go back to, to any other child that Ruth would have had at that point to be that. So it could be very interesting and I don't know all the fine, I don't know all the fine details of how that law worked out. I just know what the Bible says about it. And it only talks about him dying and taking his wife. So I don't know what the further, how far back you would go to keep that land. Uh, but the land always stayed within the family. So even the wife, if she is an anti-this, hasn't really got a choice because they go up to the land, which belongs to God, to do this God's way. Right. Remember, in this day, women did not have any rights. So Ruth's going into Boaz basically to propose to him and say, I want you to be the one to fulfill the kinsman redeemer is very bold. Okay, it's not unheard of. It's part of the tradition. She could do this. All right. But as Boaz said, I'm not the nearest. We've got to give it to the other person, the offer to do this. Okay, so this is a very bold thing. But remember, the women have little to no rights under this system. It really wasn't until Christianity came along and Jesus really elevated the position of women to a very high place and Christianity really lifted up women out of nothing. All right? And it took years for that to even to happen, but he's the one that really started lifting them up. Now they had some rights according to the, the, the rules here, but basically they were just part of property in the way they were looked at. Not that it's right or wrong, but it was the way it is. And Jewish women under the law had more rights than most of the world's people, even though they weren't elevated to a really high status, they still had rights. They were to be protected. And remember, if they divorced their, their wife, they, that wife was to go back to her father's house and be taken care of, which was the original purpose of the dowry, was, to, was basically a pre-payment of of a divorce settlement uh, so that she would be taken care of. The reason of the double portion to the eldest child was not because the eldest child was special, so special that they had to get extra money. That extra portion was for them to protect their brothers and sisters. Should they get in trouble, the older, the older brother was to buy them out of their trouble with the extra portion. He, it was not his to spend as he wanted. It was his to leave in the bank so that if younger brother couldn't handle his money and went bankrupt and had to sell his property, older brother was to redeem it from the double portion of the money. God put safeguards in the family to protect them. Okay, You couldn't just take a wife you know, and get rid of her willy-nilly. The laws provided for that wife to be taken care of. All right. So women in the Jewish traditions and, and ways of going things had protections, not the protections we have today. They had protections more than most of the rest of the world. So they were one step up from the rest of the world. God has always moved things forward and increased. So Ruth has made her proposal. She's hoping for Boaz. I don't know if she even knows this other kinsman or not. She's wanting Boaz. Boaz wants her. He's given this man his out. All right? You, your, job, your job is to buy this land from Naomi, but if you won't, I'm standing ready to redeem the land. So we have this whole issue going in, and he goes, hey, I can't do it, you do it. All right? 
I, I'm, not gonna, I'm not willing to do this. I'm not willing to lose a child. I'm not willing to gain a wife. I'm not willing to marry a Moabite. <laughs> whatever, whatever his long-term reason was, I'm not doing this. All right? Then it went into this whole little custom that it was custom that when you said no, you took your, took your sandal off and gave it to us. I have no idea what this is all about, but it was a custom. Huh? The one that was, the one that was, in this case, Boaz was getting the shoe. He got the shoe? Yeah. And it was his way. It was basically, instead of writing a contract, you got the guy's shoe. <laughs> I don't know how you knew. You know, 20 years from now, I don't know how you knew it was his shoe, but anyway. Yeah, you had the ten men there that was the ones that proved it. But um, so it says, verse eight. Therefore, the kinsman said to Boaz, "Buy it for yourself." And he drew off his shoe and handed it to Boaz. Now I don't know that Boaz got to keep the shoe forever, but it was okay. Here, it's kind of like it's it's your hand, it's your handshake, it's your handshake. It's like, you know, it sounds strange to us, and it probably was strange even then. Uh, but it was, here's, here's the shoe, and it's... I'll give you my shoe. When the other shoe drops. <laughs> the other shoe drops, yeah. I don't know about that. Okay. Let's continue before we get too far off track here on the shoe. Verse, verse 9. And Boaz said unto the elders and to all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was in Limelech's and all that was Chilean in Malin's of the hand of Naomi, Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Malian, have I purchased to be my wife, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren, and from the gate of his place. You are witnesses this day. And all the people that were at the gate and the elders, we are witnesses. The Lord, the Lord make the woman that is come into your house like Rachel and Leah, which two did build the house of Israel, and do you worthily in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem and let your house be like the house of Pharez whom Tamar bare unto Judah and the seed which the Lord shall give you of this young woman. All right, so Boaz turns around and says, you are witnesses I had bought. I can almost see the smile across his face at this point. You know, I got I got what I wanted, <laughs> and you know I you know and you are witnesses, day I have bought everything that belonged to Elimelech, Chilean, and Malon from the hand of Naomi. He's doing this right. You know I bought everything that belongs to Naomi, and moreover, <laughs> I get Ruth. <laughs> And you, can all, you know he's got some, their response says that he, they, they could see he was pretty happy about getting Ruth. You know, it doesn't say that he was happy, but their response, you know, you can see, they're pretty, they can see he's pretty excited. I got Ruth. Uh, you know, he, he didn't want her, I wanted her. And I purchased to, for her to be my wife. And, and he even goes on even there to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance that the name of the dead will not be removed from his brethren and from the gates of his place. You are witnesses. Okay? You are witnesses. I've got, <laughs> I've got Ruth. <laughs> I've got Ruth. I got Naomi, but I got Ruth. <laughs> you know, he doesn't even really make a big deal out of the property. You know, Apparently he's rich, and it, the property did not mean anything to him. The property, Naomi, it's your property. I've bought your property, but I got Ruth. <laughs> I've got Ruth. I got what I wanted. She, she wanted me, and I wanted her for the very first time I saw her. And now I've got her. And I think he wanted her even before she really knew who she was. If you remember, you know, his question was, who is that, who is that girl out there? And there was two ways to look at it. You know, she's really pretty. Who is that? I don't know who she is. Or who is that really pretty girl out there? And I really think that it's who is that pretty girl out there. And remember, we talked about how he gave her the food when she sat down at lunch for her. And that's not the normal thing. He, she caught his eye, and he's liked her from the very moment he saw her. And then it's nothing but deeper, deeper affection for her as he finds out she's a good worker. She's caring for Naomi. She came, you know, and all the fine find things he finds out about her, just deepens his love for her, starts out with, 
you know, a, an immediate love at first sight and goes into a deeper, this person's really worthy of and I want her. And then to find out she wants him. <laughs> uh, makes it a really wonderful thing to him. And it says, all the people at the gate and the elder said, we are witnesses. The Lord make the woman that is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, which too did build the house of Israel. And do thou worthily in Ephetah and be famous in Bethlehem. All right. Rachel and Leah, we know that they are Jacob's wives. All right. Leah is the one that he was tricked into getting. Rachel is the one that he wanted. And then he gets two other two other wives out of this deal. So he ends up with four wives, but the 12 tribes of Israel come from that, that grouping. And they said, let's let your, let's let your wife, Ruth, be like them. Start, start a nation. Well, she's going to have one pretty famous kid. And you know, we don't know about any of the other kids she might have, but we know about one. And you know, it says, be thou worthy in Ephetah. He's going to have a child that's going to make them famous, uh, which leads to, of course, David. Uh, David is from this, from this family, from this purchase. And so he gets, does get the famous, and he makes Bethlehem famous. Yeah, we're going to get to the line at the end. Yeah. Yeah. And then it says, let your house be like the house of Perez, which Tamar bore of Judah. Okay, and that takes us back to the Tamar story. And if you know the story of Tamar, which some of you do, some of you don't, so we'll give it. After two of the sons died because of Tamar, Judah did not give the third son to Tamar. When he became of age, he refused to have his third son marry Tamar like he was supposed to. Tamar goes out and does something that she should not have done. Okay. She goes out to where Judah is shearing his sheep and she pretends to be a prostitute. Dresses up, calls Judah in. Judah comes in and doesn't have the money to pay her at the time. So she says, okay, well, leave your staff and your signet ring with me and, and I will hold on to them until you bring my payment. He leaves to go get, the, go get the payment for her. She leaves to go back home. Judah comes, sends his servant in with the payment, finally says, well, she's not, there's not, nobody here, there's been no, no prostitute here. He says, well, you know, she left, she's got my stuff, no big deal. Tamar ends up pregnant from Judah. From Judah. Judah, very rightfully, gets upset with his daughter-in-law for being pregnant and says, you deserve to die. And he's all set to have her stoned. Well, he didn't want to give her to his son anyway, so this would be his way out of the problem. And so she sends a staff and a signet ring to him and says, the man who owns these things is the father of this baby. Judah immediately recognizes the stuff and takes her to be his wife, all right? Which he is legitimately, if he didn't have a third son, he is legitimately the next one in line to take his daughter-in-law to create a child for his dead son. So, you know, he is that next one in line because it goes son, it goes into brothers, and then it goes into father, then it goes into uncles, and then, and then down to nephews, and then up if it has to. So there's quite a, quite a thing. So he is... He is doing the kinsman redeemer stuff even though he was not really, he was the second in line for the kinsman redeemer, kind of the same as Boaz. Okay, we're not going to let the first do it, so the second in line is to do it. So he ends up doing it, and he makes this child, and he says in there, he never lies with her again, and, but at this point he treats her as a wife and takes care of her and feeds her and does everything he's supposed to, and this child becomes Perez, who becomes of the line of the Messiah. So, not off the top of my head. Okay. All right. I'd have to look that up. I don't know that. Okay. 
so here they're saying, this is a basically a prophecy they're making. Be famous <laughs> and make us famous. And sure enough, they're going to be made famous. Bethlehem, Bethlehem, the city of David, all right, is where he's from. And going to be very famous, very well known. And remember, at this time, Bethlehem is a really small town. Even when Jesus is born, Bethlehem is not a very big town. It's a very small town. But at this point in time, it is a very small town. Nobody knows about Bethlehem. It's not known by anybody. It's just a little hamlet just south, southwest of, of Jerusalem. Nobody really cares about it. It's uh, shepherd, you know, shepherds are there. It's, uh, you know, not a, not, nothing famous has happened there. It's going to become famous. And everybody's going to know about Bethlehem. And it's really going to be famous when the Messiah is born in Bethlehem. So we have a really big deal. This town has begun to become famous just as this prophecy says. Let it be, let it be worthy. Let it become famous. And let you be like Perez and Tamar, who then follows through and is part of the line of the Messiah. All right? This is, this is a famous person, even, you know, kind of infamous but famous in, even for Bethlehem because she was, as Judah said, you were more righteous than me. I didn't give you my son like I'm supposed to. And how he decides that she was righteous to trick him into having this baby, I don't know. But, you know, okay, I, my, I wouldn't let my son do it and I would not fulfill the right of it. So she basically forced him to fulfill the right of the kinsman redeemer. Of course. God's always behind everything that happens. So, all right, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife, and went in unto her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. And the woman said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left you this day without a kinsman, that his name be, may be famous in Israel, and he shall be unto you a restorer of your life and a nourisher in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, which loves you, which is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. And Naomi took him, took the child, and laid it on her bosom, and became the nurse unto it. And the women of the neighbor, neighbors gave it a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi, and they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. All right. Boaz takes Ruth, goes into her, and has a son. Apparently, the first child they have is a son. It doesn't, doesn't indicate anything else, but they have a son. And the women come to Naomi and says, Blessed be the Lord. Praise God. You have not been left without a kin. All right, that you know, and that his name may be famous in Israel. Yeah. Now I don't know if they really know that they're giving a prophecy here, or they're just giving her good words. You know, hey, you've been blessed. You've you've got a you've got a new son, and you know, may he be famous. May he be well known. And I don't know if they know that they're giving a you know great. Uh, prophecy here or not. It is, it is a prophecy because she's going to give birth to David. And David, of course, is, the, is the, in the line of the Messiah. So Naomi is going from being, well, let's go through this. In verse 15, and she shall be unto you, and he shall be unto you, a restorer of life in your, and nourisher in your old age. This goes back to what did Naomi say when she came back to Bethlehem? And they say, Naomi has returned. Blessed has been returned. Call me not blessed, call me Myra, because God has miserably treated me. I am just worthless. They're remembering what she said. You thought you were, you thought you were miserable. You thought you were without blessing. God has blessed you. He has given you a son to replace your sons. You know, how many times does God do this for us? He says, all things work together for good for those who are called according to the purpose of God. Naomi, when she came back, did not see herself as ever going to be blessed. You know, I left, I had, I had a husband, I had two sons, 
you know, I got these two Moabitess women, and now I'm stuck with a Moabitess, Moabitess who, yes, she loves me. She says she's going to switch, but, you know, I left full, and I came back with a Moabite daughter-in-law. And she might not have been that bitter, but, you know, it's, this is what she's looking at. I left full. I had children. I had, now I've got a Moabite. What, you know, what, what, what man in this area is going to want to marry this Moabitess? You know, none of these guys are going to want to do the kinsman's job. None of these guys, are, you know, they might do it by force, but none of them are going to want to. She's coming back totally miserable. I went away two sons, and I came back with nothing. Life is never going to be happy again. How many times do we have that, you know, God, things are so bad, nothing ever is going to happen again. Job could have been just like that. Nothing, <laughs> I've lost everything. I've lost all my nine kids. You know, nothing will ever be happy again. Even if I get my riches, I've lost my kids. You know, I'll never be happy. Now, it never says that he did that, but he could have been just that. I've lost everything. Naomi now is being told by the women, here's your child. He's yours. This is your replacement son. Now, I don't know that she ever really thought of it as her her replacement, and I don't think Boaz and, and Ruth ever thought of it as anything but their child. Yes, it's going to be given to Elimelech's line, but I don't think they ever looked at it as this isn't our child. Ruth loves Naomi. I think this is a close-knit family all the way through, and I don't know that there ever was a breaking up of all of this. And, but it says, this is yours, and he's going to be famous. He's going to be a restorer to your life. He's going to make you happy. This is your child. He's going to make you happy in your old age, for the daughter-in-law which loves you, which is better than seven sons, <laughs> has borne him unto you. And they're reminding her, you have such a special daughter-in-law. You know, this daughter-in-law has said, I'm going to go where you go. Where you d- live, I will live. Where you die, I will live. Your God will be my God. And they're, going, they're reminding her, you've got a daughter that, daughter-in-law that loves you so much who took care of you before this child was born, who went out in the fields and worked and gleaned the fields so that you could be taken care of for however long, year, two years, three years, whatever it was. We know that it was at least two seasons plus the time it gets to get the baby. So we're talking at least probably two years. And he goes, she loved you so much, she was going to take care of you. you know, this Moabitess woman that became, became a Jewish by proselytizing loved you so much. She's much better than any sons that you had, especially those sickly sons that you had that, were, that died. You know, and she's given you a son. She's given you a son that's going to be your replacement. And just don't forget how special she is. You know, don't forget how special she is. And they're just helping her remember. You came back, you said you're Mara. No, you're Naomi. You're blessed. God loves you. And we need to keep this in mind all the time. When things look so dark that we can't figure out what will ever be good again in our life, if we wait long enough, God will show us what good it is because he's promised us good. He is in control. Nothing happens to us that is not ordained by God. Nothing. Now, how we respond is our business. All right? How we respond is our business, but nothing is ordained that comes our way is, happens that is not ordained by God. Remember, Job is that greatest example. Satan comes to him and God says, hey, what have you been doing? Well, I've been wandering around the world looking for some mischief to get into. He didn't quite say it that way, but that's what he's meant. You know, I'm looking for some mischief. And it was God who pointed out Job. Have you considered my servant Job? He's a, he's a perfect man, an upright man who hates evil. And Satan says, of course I've considered Job, but you've got him so protected I can't do anything. Satan has to have permission to do anything to anybody. Okay? Remember, I've said this. We as God's children, he has to have a lot more permission to, and God's going to protect us a lot more because we're his children. But even for the world... Satan cannot do whatever he wants to them, otherwise he'd kill them. He hates people, he wants them dead. He has to have permission for them to be dead. Otherwise he'd kill them. He'd kill everybody before they had a chance to follow God. God is sovereign. 
Satan is on a leash. He cannot do what he wants. Now, some of us would say, God, I wish you'd hold that leash a little shorter. But God says, I've got a plan. He had a plan when, when Elimelech and them went to Moab to find Ruth. He had a plan to bring Ruth back to, Mo back to Israel and be the, be the mother of the Messiah. All right? He had a plan. Nobody could have seen it at the time that it happened. Nobody would have foreseen it. A Moabite is coming back to Jerusalem to be part of the line of the Messiah, to be, to be the grandmother of the king, the greatest king of Israel. Not what they would have thought of. Not what they would have believed. And so we see this, and it says in verse 16, Naomi took the child, laid it on her bosom, and became nurse unto it. All right, this does not mean that she nursed the baby and fed the baby. It meant that she took care of the child. She was the, we would probably say, more like the nanny. Well, grandma, you know, but she's the nanny. She's taking, this is, this is my baby. <laughs> you know, Ruth, you get, to, you get to feed this baby, but this is my baby. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of this baby. Uh, you, Ruth, you, you and Boaz go do whatever you want. This is mine. I'm going to raise him. Uh, basically the nanny, basically the, the one who's taking care of this child. So now we have a baby that Naomi's going to, she gets to raise a third baby. She gets to do it as a grandma too. Okay, she gets to spoil this baby probably. And you can know that this baby's going to get anything and any, everything because really it is her son, but yet it's her grandson. She's got all the wealth that Boaz provides to her to help. And I don't, think, I don't think Boaz is being stingy with her. He's really brought her in the family because he knows how much Ruth loves her. So when he brings her in, it's not a separate deal for him. You know, he's bringing Naomi in and saying, Ruth loves you, I'm going to love you. Not, not as a husband-wife love, but I'm going to love you because Ruth loves you. And so I don't think there's any stinginess here. There's no, there's no problems with this. He said, you got your son, we're going to make sure he's treated well. And she gets to be very much enjoying this. She gets the, the grandson's son that she's wanted. <laughs> and she gets to be the one that takes care of it. And it says in verse 17, And the women of the neighborhood gave it a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi, and they named him Obed. And he is the father of Jesse and the father of David. The father of David. This is an interesting thing here. It is apparent that the women of the neighborhood oftentimes named the child. We see the same picture when John and Elizabeth, uh, when uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth have their son John the Baptist. All the people are gathered together and they want to name him John after the father. Okay? And Elizabeth is going, no, his name is John. And they're going, but there's nobody in your family named John. We should name him after your husband because that's. That's more of the tradition. This is your firstborn son. He's supposed to be named after his father. And so they give John a writing, uh, Zechariah a writing tablet, and it says, his name is John, and all of a sudden he's able to talk. Okay? The tradition apparently is that the, your neighbors give you the name. Now, I think if the, if the mother and father really had their heart set on some, some name, they would be able to name their child. But it's, apparently it's a family, a, a family affair that the neighbors get to, your family and friends get to name the child. I don't know if I like that idea, but that's what was tradition then. And because it says they named him Obed. And he is the father of Jesse, the father of uh, David. So here we're talking about, let's see, uh, son, grandson, great-grandson to David. Uh, great-grandparents of David. So we have this generation coming in. And it's not that far away. We see how short these time frames are. And then we get this little short genealogy. And really want to pay, pay attention to this. Now there were, these are the generations of Perez. Perez begat Hezron, and Hezron begat Ram, and Ram began Aminadab, and Aminadab begat Nashon, and Nashon began Salom, and Salom begat Boaz, and Boaz begat Obed, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David. 
we just have a few short generations here listed, and this goes all the way to before Exodus, before the people go into Egypt. This shows how short a period of time it really is to this period of Judges. And this is why when we teach this, there are people who will say that the Israelites were in Egypt for 400 years. All right? And this comes from Paul saying that they were in captivity from the time, for 420 years from the time of promise. So the question is, what is the time of promise? The time of promise goes back to Isaac. So it's 420 years from the time of Isaac to the time of being delivered from Jerusalem, uh, from being delivered from Egypt. Not 400 years in Egypt. So there's an extra period of time before Egypt that is part of that 400 years. And this genealogy shows it, and also the genealogy in Chronicles shows it because between Levi and Moses, there's four generations, all right? That's four generations of time, and this is all the way till the time of, of Moses. So we want to be able to see this, and these genealogies is why the genealogies are important, because they give us time markers. Because Perez is Judah's Son, grandson, depending on how you, he's one of those funny things. He's a son and grandson at the same time. He gets to look at his dad and say, that's my grandpa as well. <laughs> uh, and they trace his genealogy, and this is before they go into Egypt. So we see this very short genealogy. And I just bring this up because we see, as we've said before, when we look at the genealogy of Jesus, he's got this Moabitess Ruth in it. He's got this... Almost, almost prostitute Tamar in it. Beyond that, he's got a Rahab in it, who is a prostitute in his line. We, we have some wonderful people, and God did this on purpose to show his grace, saying, I accept all people in my line. And then we have Bathsheba in there, who is an adulteress. And so we have at least two people that are worthy of death, Rahab, technically, even though she's not a Jew, is worthy of death because she is a prostitute. Uh, Ruth is the most righteous one of the three, but she's a Moabite who doesn't belong in there. So we see this little short um, genealogy that says, let me, God's saying, just let me show you. Let me show you the line that goes to the first king, who's later on going to go to the last king. You know, look, look at these wonderful people that are in this line. And God does this. And I look at this and says, God's grace and mercy, if he will use all of these people, means that he will use me. He will use you. No matter how great or, or bad we think we are, God says, I'm ready to use you. Naomi, I've given you your child back. You thought you were going to be bitter and die in bitterness. I'm giving you a child. And you know what? This child's going to be famous. And I don't believe that Naomi lived long enough to be able to see how, you know, how famous her child is because she was old at the time Obed's born. So by the time Jesse's born, she might have seen Jesse, but I kind of doubt it, and she's probably not going to see David. Uh, so she's on, she just gets it by faith. God, this, this blessing. And can you imagine she gets to heaven and says, God says, see, I told you, I have a plan for you. You thought you were bitter and, and totally wasted. Look at this. You're... You're kin to the Messiah. You're kin to the first great king of, Egypt, of Israel. She gets to find this out in heaven. But it's like, told you I had a plan. Without you, none of this would have happened. If you had done what you wanted, if you had kicked Ruth out of, the, out of this line, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have been a nobody, and nobody would have known who you were. I had a plan for you. See how you've been blessed? We need to be able to take that and look and say, God, even when it looks like nothing is going to happen, nothing good is happening, you have a plan. And the last thing to say is, God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. We need to keep that in, in memory. No matter what I think is going on in my life, God is good.
always. It may not seem good to me, but when we reach heaven, God will show us how it was good. Naomi spends a large portion of her life in bitterness. Oh, my life is over. Nothing is going to ever be good. And it is pain, and we're not trying to belittle the pain she went through. Would it have been better, though, if she looked at God and said, God, you've got a plan and you are good. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to be ready to accept whatever you, whatever you have coming to me, I'm going to be ready to accept. Wouldn't it have been better for her? She wouldn't have spent however many years she did in bitterness. She would have gone, God, I don't understand, but you have a plan and I'm going to accept it. For us, we have the promise. We have Romans 8.28, all, for all things work together for good for those who are called according to the purpose of God. When it looks like our whole world's falling apart, we come to God and, God, I don't understand it, but you've promised that something good will happen. You've promised, maybe, maybe I'm the witness to somebody else who's going to get saved and do something great. Maybe I've talked to somebody who's going to do something great. All right? Think about this. Who led people like Billy Graham to the Lord? Who led people like Billy Sunday to the Lord? D.L. Moody to the Lord? D.L. Moody's got a, quite a story behind how he got led to the Lord. It was his Sunday school teacher that came by and visited him, saying, what's wrong with you? You don't know God. You know, came, to the, came to his little shoe shop and, and witnessed to him and got him saved. We don't know much about that little, that little teacher that, other than he led D.L. Moody. What if he had never done that? You know, what if he had never done that? There's a long chain of people that follow from that. We go back to all these individuals. You know, there's a long line of people that had impacted other people. And we won't know the impact of our life until we get to heaven, truthfully. We think we do but we really don't know the impact of our life. Our faithfulness sometimes can touch people, and even when we fall flat on our face and we repent later on, that impacts people. Because people look at it and say, wow, I, I know when you were falling flat on your face and you were, living, you were living in the world and really being good, and your God took you back and you're happy to be back with your God? Yes. Maybe that was just what they needed to say, I need to know that God. Maybe they didn't come to you to know that God, but they're going, maybe I'm going to go find some other Christian. Then they'll tell me about this God. We do not know the impact we have. We do not know what God is trying to use us for. We do not know anything about how God's using us. When we get to heaven, God's going to show us. And we're going to get to see those people that said, I watched you. I saw you serve God. I saw you be faithful. I saw the love you had toward your God. I saw when you fell flat on your face how your God forgave you, and it touched me. I saw when you didn't have much money and you gave to the missionaries anyway, and that missionary got your money, and I'm here because of the money you gave and the missionary gave, came forward. I'm here because you gave money that allowed your church to, you know, to send missionaries or to be on the internet, or to do the radio, or whatever it might be that the church does. And they're going, because of your penny, your little offering, your little obediences, I'm here. And God says, I'm looking for the rewards. When we stand before God at the Bema seat of Christ, he's not looking to say, well, you are such a loser, you didn't get this, is all you get. He's looking, what can we give you? What gifts can I give you for your life of with me? May not be much or it may be a lot. But you know, there may be a point where he says, oh, you had so much more. If you had just been more obedient, there might have been a whole lot more. But I am just so happy to give you these. These are your rewards. This is what you let me do through you by your faithfulness. And then when you get, to, get into the heaven, there are going to be people that are happy to see you. Oh, you did this, and I'm here because of you, and you're going to go, I don't know. You know. Jesus said, when you gave it to the least of these, you gave it to me. And there are going to be people that are just going to be, you gave. You gave, and I'm here because you gave. All right, let's close. Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you, Lord, that you use even those who seem insignificant. You use the least of us.
Lord, help us always to trust in you. Help us always to just have faith that you are working a good work. Lord, if there's anybody that doesn't know you, we ask that they accept that they are a sinner and they accept your sacrifice and forgiveness and they will turn to you and ask you to come into their heart and that they will share it with some other Christian to let them know that they have done that. And we just thank you for all of this. In Jesus' name, amen.